Welcome. This is another edition of the Brattlecast, and it's stories about books, old, rare, and out of print. People who buy, sell, appraise, and collect them. And believe it or not, there are real people talking to each other in the same room for the first time. I'm Jordan Rich, and I'm with, of course, Ken Gloss, the proprietor of the Brattle Bookstore. This is really exciting. It is. I mean, it's been over a year, and uh, fortunately, vaccines seem to be working. And but it just it just feels free. Uh, it's not 100% yet. We're hoping everything keeps going in the direction it's going. But it's nice being in the studio. and, and it, it is. And I walked by your store the other day because I live nearby. And, and, boy, the activity was really great to see. A lot of young people buying books. Well, actually, what we've noticed a lot is the clientele is very, very much younger right now than it was before. And part of the reason is that younger feel more comfortable. Sure. Uh, a lot of our old-time customers, and I don't, as they're getting vaccinated, we're starting to slowly but surely see them come back. And then hopefully we'll see a lot of tourists, and maybe in the future we'll, the office workers will start coming. Right, but the weather being so nice in April, May, June is, is a good thing sign that you're going to do quite well. Well, we have uh, work to do here on the Brattlecast, uh, startling, exciting curiosities that'll make your uh, your brains uh, work on overdrive. And my brain is all pumped up for what you have brought in. First of all, to, to see and feel and touch actual product is great again. And what, pray tell, is that book you have in your Well, the, the actual name of the book is called A Testament of Faith. But what it really is, is there's one page here from a book, but it's the first Bible printed in America in the 1630s. Um, uh, it was uh, actually not 1630s, 1660s, but that's all right. We, you know, Give or take. Yeah, so it's, it's actually very interesting, the history of the Bible in America, because it actually was illegal to print Bibles in America up until the American Revolution. But they had one or two got through. And the reason they were illegal is the British publishers wanted a monopoly on the Bible sold in America. (laughs) So first of all, it obviously had to be the King James Version. But second of all, you had to buy it from the British to get the Bible. So most of the time when people say, well, I have an American Bible, it's after the revolution because after the revolution, there wasn't those laws restricting. But there are a few early ones. And the first one, which was done, you know, back in the when the Puritans and the pilgrims were first coming over, uh, was in Algonquin. It was in an Indian language, a local Indian language. And so it was more a uh, missionary uh, item. But, ah. Okay. But there was a lot that went into it. And then in the uh, then there was a later one in German. Now, of course, in Pennsylvania and all through the Dutch area. Right. Uh, and I guess the English didn't care as much whether you did one in Algonquin or German. <laughs> you, you couldn't do the English. But it's actually a very interesting story. And first of all, it was done in the Boston area. Uh, there was a minister named John Elliott. And he was first in Boston – then he had was way out in Watertown, which is a couple of miles from downtown Boston. And then he moved out to Natick, which is maybe six or eight miles or ten. Might as well have taken a covered wagon to get out there. Well, pretty much. Well, yeah. pro- I'm sure they probably took the Charles River. 
that's more what they would have done. Boston Post Road up around that time was yeah. maybe the only dirt road from there to Boston. Have, but but you're probably right. Even even in that, there that wasn't all that well developed. But it, it the river goes right along that area. So that from Boston sense. to Watertown to Natick, and part of the idea of the Pilgrims was they were. The Bible was something that was supposed to free you. When King James had the Bible and translated it into languages, I mean, tra- translated the Bible into English that readers could read, it's sort of in a way the English and these people were saying, you can read the Bible. You don't need sort of the Catholicized, the, the Roman version mm-hmm. where a priest needed to interpret and read it to you. So part of their missionary uh, work was to have the Indians. And and they didn't feel, and of course, they were looking at it from their perspective, not necessarily the Algonquin's perspective, that they feel they were bringing their great knowledge to the savage people. And, and But it was a tremendous process to get this. If you think of it, nowadays, you want something printed you go to the printer, they take a picture of it, they print off how many copies, you get it the next day, or you put it in your copier and out it comes, uh, or you digitally set it up on your computer, the typography, whatever side. Well, in the 1660s in America, first of all, printing presses were almost, they were very rare. Type was very rare and expensive. Uh, But also, when you're talking about printing something in Algonquin, someone had to learn the language. And they had to be taught the language. So there was a cooperation, not only from the minister, John Eliot, but also with the native population, teaching them the languages. And and there were already sort of beginning pieces of that, especially in Martha's Vineyard, Nantucket, maybe because they were so well enclosed, people were starting to learn the native languages. But they wanted to print the Bible so that the natives could read. I have a question that, uh, just to pick up on something you said, the the print, the the typeface, and all that. We're not talking about even the 1800s or the 1900s when it was more automated. We're talking about by hand, correct? Oh, absolutely. In the 1600s, the other thing that was very expensive was paper. Yeah. You know, it's not like, again, you go to Staples or some other store and you buy a ream of paper. So all of that, first of all, they had to learn the language. They had to, it, which was a tremendous job. But then they needed to get financing from England. And they also, part of it was also they wanted to get financing and backing just for their community. And one of the ways to sell that was the missionary work the printing of the Bible. So part of the sort of soliciting and going back to England and having some of their representatives go back and try to get money for the Bible to be printed was also in a way saying, look what great work we're doing. Now, admittedly, they still had split off, but they still were getting support. It's interesting. The book you have, it's um, basically a book that enshrines one page. Is that right? That's a, uh, And this, this is actually an interesting way. And one of the things I wanted to talk about, it's not unusual to, for people to have what they call a leaf book, 
one leaf or a number of examples. The Indian Bible was printed, there were probably, I don't know, 50, 75 copies known that are complete. You know, Harvard, a lot of the other uh, religious institutions and uh, colleges and so on. But if you got one and you wanted a first Bible printed in America, if one came for sale, it would be in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, minimum, in the hundreds of thousands. What happens, though, and they were always expensive. I mean, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, they were still very expensive. It wasn't that you could go in, oh, yeah, here's a couple of bucks, I'll get it. But over the years, over the 300, 350 years, some copies got damaged. So occasionally you've gone into a house or someone would go into an institution and they'd have one and it would only be half or a quarter or a third of it. So what does a book dealer do? I mean, the institutions want full copies for the most part. The real collectors who are willing to pay the big money want the full copy, but you've got this defective copy. So this was a, a bookseller in Boston called Goodspeeds. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. It, Name, well, of course. Well, you know, it's interesting. They were in business. They were one of the great bookstores. They've been out of business now for over 20 years. And unless you've lived in Boston for a while, the people forget. So in the 1970s, they obviously got a defective copy. They wrote a very nice essay to go with it. And matter of fact, I can tell you probably about how many copies they had because uh, they said that this is uh, limited to 80, 87 copies. So they probably had— But in each one of those copies, there would be a different page from a that defective Bible. Different page, from okay. the, probably from the same defective yeah. Bible. And they would put it in, and, and I'm sure they sent out some to good I, customers. Uh, take a look. I'm not going to be well, very it, gentle it, with it. Well, the, so the Bible page that I'm looking at, this is the language. This is the Algonquin, Algonquin language, yeah. which I will not attempt to read. But it, it's laid out exactly the way the Bible would be laid out, chapter, verse. Yeah, it, it, but, wow. it, but it was incredibly difficult. Like I said, the paper was expensive. The type was expensive, the printing press. But then you had to lay out each separate piece of type to do this in a language that probably the typesetter might or might not have known. And actually, what they did use is there were a number of Native Americans who were in Harvard, at, at Harvard University at the time, and they did a lot of the typesetting and helping with getting the production because, you know, when, when you're a typesetter, if you can't read what you're putting in, it's hard to correct it. It's the purpose, right. Uh, well, or, so I, I, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but I wonder how successful the conversion process was to, to convert Indians of that ilk. Well, it, it was actually it was relatively successful. And part of the reasons, first of all, there were, there were a lot of problems. And some of it was intentional. A lot of it wasn't. But a lot of the disease that the Europeans had immunity from because they grew up with it, even unintentionally, give people clothes, give uh, people... The smallpox the, and the blankets. Yeah. Right, well... But that, a, a, that, was, that was intentional in some there, cases. There was some intentional in some right. cases, but in many cases, it was just the fishermen coming over earlier. So there were vast tracts of empty land. And the uh, natives and the Algonquins, they... At first, welcomed 
the a lot of the settlers. And of course, then it got overrun. Then there were wars. And also, it's not like all of the native tribes got along with each other either. That's true. So it was a successful. Uh, they actually printed another edition of it in the 1680s, which is also quite valuable. But this was a way that you could own a page, an example of the first Bible. Now, like I said, if you got a new one, if, if someone turned out another copy and it showed up, it would go for hundreds of thousands of dollars. So what a, pa- would, what a page, page like this for? is fifteen to $2,500. It's still not cheap, mm. but it's within a book collector's budget in the most cases. And you can say, I have a, if you collect Bibles and you're not unlimited funds, you can still have an example. You can still say, here's what this looked like. Here's what it is. And as always, when we talk about these things that are so old, I'm impressed with the condition. I granted it's protected, but it is in relatively good shape. You'd swear that was something from 50 years ago or 60 years ago. Well, you know, before the wood pulp and the papers in the late 1800s, paper was very expensive. It was usually made out of rag content. It actually is much easier to read a book or a newspaper from the 1700s, from 1770, the revolution, than it is to read one from like 1910 or mm. 1920 or 1870, because the paper was better. But, you know, a lot of these things, this was made and they wanted it to last. And so the quality of everything was good, but it's sort of, you get to touch this and you say, this is the first Bible done in America. And then all that went into it and what the circumstances were. And the fact, if anyone's listening from the Boston area, well, Natick's just down the road. Yeah. It's easy. Yeah. No, it was way out. <laughs> uh, it was way out in the wilderness at that time. Amazing. Just amazing. And uh, any any chance the colonists could get to stick it to the king back in England and uh, do a workaround. That, well, and, and they also wanted to justify why they yeah. were there. So it was not only just trying to get their religion out, which they obviously felt very, very strongly about, but it was also trying to develop support and financial, monetary uh, continuation from the old country, saying, look at the great work we're doing, in well, addition to leaving you. We promise to stimulate the brain, and we do it almost every episode of the Brattlecast. This was no exception. And by the way, you can find out more at brattlebookshop.com. And if you'd like to send in a request for Ken to talk about something in particular, we often honor those requests. So uh, look forward to more of those coming in. I, I would love them. The more, the better. I mean, I know what I want to talk about, but I sometimes find when I get these requests, boy, that's a good subject. And... Uh, It's always fun to also know that people are listening. (laughs) Brattlebookshop.com. Oh, they are all over the world. Thank you for listening. Thanks to Ken Gloss. We'll see you next time on the Brattlecast.